Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I invite you this morning to turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. Um, and so even if you're not familiar with Scripture, um, it's, pretty, it's uh, pretty simple to find. The very first book of the Bible in the Old Testament. So go all the way to the other side. We've been in the Gospel of Luke for several years actually now, taking some breaks now and then. But uh, we have just completed that got that. Uh, a series of messages through the Gospel of Luke, and we are starting a new series today, and I want to say to those especially, well really to all of you, but to especially to our guests who are typically here and know that our typical pattern in preaching is to, to preach through books of the Bible and to take, uh, like last Sunday we looked at four verses of Scripture, sometimes depending on the text, it may be longer, uh, but uh, we just looked at four verses last Sunday. But today we're going to do something very unusual, and I'll say the first time I've ever done it. So, uh, and by the way, I haven't practiced this sermon, so we're all hearing it for the first time today. And uh, so uh, we're, uh, uh, we're going to venture on something new. The reason we're doing this today is because we, uh, we studied, again, through and preaching through Luke, we looked at the last chapter as we finished that up, and two of the passages of Scripture that we looked at, one of those in Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 27, in that passage where Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, was walking with two disciples, not, uh, not among the twelve, but, uh, or the remaining eleven, but other followers of Christ, and on that road to Emmaus, he didn't disclose who he was. It was sometime later they came to realize who he was. But on that road, uh, the Bible tells us there in Luke 24, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the, all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then later, again, in meeting with the disciples, the Bible says in verse 44 of that same chapter, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So in, the, in, these, in this one chapter of the Bible, and of course in other passages in the New Testament, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is in all of the Bible, and specifically here, all of the Old Testament. So you can imagine, as Jesus was walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he started there in Genesis, in the books of, as, as we know them, the books of Moses, and Jesus showed them in these Old Testament books where he was, and he was there all along. And he said these things, later also in John, that these are the things that speak of me. And again, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says that Jesus died according to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again according to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. So the Bible makes it clear that the, the word of God, the Bible, is a book about Jesus. And so we're going to do something. We're going to take, uh, instead of taking years to go through the book of Genesis, we're going to try to do it today in one day, all right? 
So uh, did you bring your lunch? No, I hope we won't be here all day, but uh, we're going to do it the best we can. But, but we're going to narrow our look in the book of Genesis, and that is we're going to be looking at what the Bible teaches us about Christ and in and, and the book of Genesis. And so that's why we're going to begin right here, and we're just going to be looking. We're going to do something I ordinarily don't do also, and that is we're, uh, I'm going to have you turn there. A lot of times I put the passages on the screen, and you don't know this, but I usually do that just so we can move a little faster, okay? That's the reason I do that. You're welcome to turn, but I'm usually trying to hit it so we can move on to the next one. And uh, so some of the other scriptures will be on the screen, but the Genesis uh, verses will not. So you can turn with us and I'll try to give you a little advance notice so that you can do that. And so today and then the next four weeks following this week, we'll be looking at the books of the law. I decided not to do all 66 yet. We're going to have some series along the way. We'll do another one maybe next year as the Lord leads uh, in the books of history. So we're going to look at uh, Christ in all the scriptures part one, beginning today, and we're going to start with Genesis. We'll be looking at the law, the Torah, uh, Pentateuch, as it's known, the first five books of the Old Testament. So this morning, our message is going to be entitled, Seeing and Savoring Christ in Genesis. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful time that we've had together as the people of God to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that, this, that we are your church. We are your body. We want to thank you today for giving us the word of God. Thank you for helping us to understand, Lord Jesus, in your word that the Bible is all about you, and that includes the books of the law, and it includes the book of Genesis. Help us this morning as we, as we began this process of just looking at some passages in the book of Genesis. Give us understanding, Lord, even as, as you tell us there that you did for your disciples and that you continue to do for us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Open the scriptures to us us this morning. Help us as we've just sung, Lord. I pray we sang it from our heart. If not, I pray now we'll pray it from our heart. Show us Christ and help us, Lord, from this experience to understand more fully as we read our Bible, as we read the Old Testament, Lord, to see Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified in this time together and, Lord, that you'll just give us special grace and understanding. This is a new experience for us, Lord. We're looking to you for the enabling power of your spirit to understand, to preach. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray for the gift of illumination. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're totally dependent on you during this time. So give grace to every one of us here. Lord, to give grace to those, Lord, we pray for those who don't know Christ, who've not yet repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ. Would you awaken their hearts today to see Jesus and to see their need for you, to understand, to hear the gospel, to understand the gospel, to repent and place their faith in Christ this day is our prayer. Lord, be glorified now in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. And everyone said, amen. You know, man has come up with many theories for the uh, earth's origin. One of those, of course, it, we, uh, we hear about pretty often, that's the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory says, it's a theory that says that the earth, uh, the, this all happened about 15 billion years ago from a Big Bang. But the problem is they can't tell us where this material came from that exploded 
or what caused the explosion? Well, isn't it wonderful that God just answers that question for us in the very first verse in the book of Genesis? Genesis 1.1. Look at, look at it with me. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. God just summed all that up. If people just took God at his word and just believe the word of God. The book of Genesis is rightly named, and that's what it is. It's the, the book of beginnings. That's what it means, the book of origins, the book of beginnings. And it answers that question about where we came from and where everything came from. And so it tells us here in this book the beginning of the heavens, the beginning of the earth, where animals came from, and, uh, and again, where the human race came from, where we came from. It also tells us very early in its pages where something else came from where sin came from and where human sin entered this world. The only person that's not identified as to its origin is God because he didn't have one. Amen. He's always existed. He is the creator God. And we're so grateful that that we have the word of God to tell us where we came from and who created us. You know, the, the book of Genesis does not identify its author, uh, but other books in the, the fir- within the first five books do tell us that Moses is the author, and that is confirmed to us in the New Testament and is clearly believed and accepted by people who believe the Bible that Moses was the human author inspired by the Spirit of God to write the book, the first five books of the Bible. And again, sometimes they're even just called the books of Moses, the books of the law, or as we said, the Pentateuch or the Torah. Uh, a, a pastor and author by the name of Kurt Strassner writes, uh, as the story goes on, we may also trace the beginning of God's plan of salvation. He says, Through the, uh, though the book does not name him, Genesis begs for a savior. Genesis promises a savior. And Genesis, if we read it rightly, can lead us to the Savior of the world, Jesus, the Son of God. And I remind you today that, again, the Bible uh, for Jesus, the one he was referring to, was this Old Testament that God had given him. And even on into the early church until the New Testament canon was complete, the, the New Testament church even preached the Old Testament. They preached Jesus from the Old Testament and confirmed him from the scriptures. And so, as we've said, he is the subject of the entire Bible. And one way we can correctly uh, interpret the Old Testament and be certain that we are, uh, we're not just reading Jesus into the, into the Old Testament text, and again, is we can look to the New Testament for references, of which there are many uh, of them in the, uh, in the New Testament, referring back to the Old Testament and showing how Jesus fulfilled that. And we're going to try to do that as we go through these New Testament, or rather the Old Testament passages as we go. So let's get started today. And by the way, uh, in my study this past week, what I did was, and I encourage you to do this this week, I just read through the book of Genesis. And uh, you could do that probably in two and a half hours, something like that. You can do it next week for Exodus. And, um, and you can... Uh, 
you can ask the Lord to help you to do what we sang about this day. Just say, Lord, show me Christ. And I encourage you to do that every time you open your Bible and every time you get into the Word of God. But again, as we, as we do that today, uh, I, what I did was I just took out my notebook and I started writing down passages. And I, and I soon came up with a 15-point outline. And uh, I thought I didn't know who would be left by the time I finished this morning. So I cut it back to 10 points. And uh, still pretty long, but, uh, but I'm going to do my best for us to go through the gather, gather in, uh, in seeing and savoring Christ in Genesis. Notice, first of all, see Christ as creator God. From the very beginning, we see Christ. Uh, again, as we read already, Genesis ch- uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, this uh, passage, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, gives us the details of creation. And the Bible tells us he created everything out of nothing. He just spoke it into existence in six days' time. And when we come to the New Testament, we, of course, find that Jesus was the agent of creation. The Bible's very clear on that. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the Word of God, sounding much like Genesis from the beginning, says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator. So we see him right there in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, Paul is inspired to write not only that, Je- that everything was made through Jesus, everything was made for him. And the Bible, he goes on to say, in all things and in him all things hold together. They hold together. Jesus is holding it all together. He didn't just speak it and go off and leave it. He continues to not only be the creator, but the sustainer of the universe that he created. He sovereignly is in control. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And brother and sister, that ought to bring you great joy to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And all those things you hear, you know, about what's going on and what's going to happen, you just remember Jesus is still in control of his universe. That's a good word for us today. Amen. Kent Hughes says, if you uh, come to Jesus, he will turn your night into day. He will reorder your broken life. He will bring form out of chaos and all happens with just the spoken word. He is still in that business of changing lives and of bringing something out of nothing. Amen. He did it in my life. What about you? He's still doing that today. See Christ as creator God. Second, see Christ as the offspring of woman. Move on, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3, because we know that, of course, God placed Adam and Eve, the first of his human creatures, first man and woman, in the Garden of Eden. He told them they could eat all the garden. Everything there was for them to enjoy, but he told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned them that in the day, if they did that, they would surely, what? die. And so we know, of course, that the scripture tells us here in Genesis 3 that Satan came to them in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve with eating the the fruit of that tree. And he said to her, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God 
knowing good and evil. And so she believed Satan's lie, ate the fruit, gave it to Adam, and he ate. He sinned with his eyes open. Uh, Sin entered the world at that point. And the Bible says that spiritual death came just like God said it would. It occurred immediately. Death and separation happened right that moment. And God came to them in the garden and he told them about the consequences of their sin. But he also told them of his plan to deal with their sin. So look if you, with, with me, if you will, Genesis three fifteen tells about that. And he's giving, of course, the, uh, the curse, uh, not only upon them and upon the earth, but even upon, uh, the serpent, specifically Satan, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This, of course, the Bible tells us is exactly what happened. This is known as been called the first gospel. And the term here for offspring or seed, as your Bible may translate it, are normally associated with the man, but here it's called the seed of woman. And again, this is obviously the re- a reference to the virgin birth and, con- and conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also points to his full incarnation, that he's both fully God and fully man, fully human. And, and, it all, and, and again, he is, uh, the, the word here for bruise can be translated crush. And that's how Isaiah prophesied uh, about what would happen on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And that's what happened with the Lord Jesus. He was crushed upon the cross, but in the process, he crushed the serpent, Satan's head. His death defeated Satan's sin and death. And of course, he rose the third day victoriously. Hebrew scholars uh, say that every use of the word seed or offspring, which is singular as it is here, always denotes a specific descendant. And Galatians chapter 3.18 identifies that specific descendant, the offspring, as being the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we see Christ as the one who crushed the serpent's head. And praise God, that is what happened at the cross. But thirdly, look with me again as we, in this same area of scripture, as we see, thirdly, we see Christ as the second Adam. See Christ as the second Adam. Adam sinned and, of course, died spiritually. And the Bible says we, because they were the original pair. By the way, do you see why Satan would attack the first 11 chapters of Genesis so so ferociously and why, again, liberal scholars and unbelievers have sought to come up with all these other theories about where we came from and to deny the Word of God. Even liberals who call themselves theologians who've denied creation and denied the original pair. Again, because it... God makes it so clear that this is where sin came from. And while we are sinners, because again, we trace our roots, if you will, back to the original pair, Adam and Eve. And again, because we trace our ancestry to them, we inherited their sin and along with that inherited the same penalty. In Romans chapter 5, 
Verse 12, the Bible says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, all people, if you will, because all sin. But unlike the first Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam. And unlike unlike the first Adam, Jesus, again, through his virgin conception and incarnation, became not only uh, fully God, but also fully man. And yet he did not have the sin nature as Adam did. He escaped that, that is true of every other human being, and was fully sinless. And praise God, the second Adam, Jesus, did not fail. The Lord Jesus, again, lived a perfect sinless life, totally obedient to the Father throughout his life. And again, on that cross, therefore, was able to give himself as our sinless substitute. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus took our blame and our guilt. Romans 5, 17 says, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, the second Adam, Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See Christ as the second Adam. And I'd ask you today, are you in, still in Adam today? Are you now in Christ? You see, you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And if you're in Christ, you have the victory. And then I ask another question. They have you stopped passing the buck? That's exactly what Adam did. That's what Eve did. They just wanted to pass the buck. But I want you to say, to know a good word this morning, brothers and sisters. Christ took the buck. Christ let the buck stop with him because he became our sinless substitute. He took our sin upon himself for us. And so therefore we can acknowledge our sin and guilt and, and praise the Lord Jesus and allow the, the reality and the truth of our sin being passed to him to be the, the reality of our lives. Amen. See Christ as the second Adam. Number four, see Christ as the clothing for the guilty. We're still there in, in Genesis chapter three. And Genesis 3, 7, we'll see. Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 and see what they did. The Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they now knew something they would not known. They knew guilt. They knew shame for the very first time. And here we see they attempted to cover themselves uh, with fig leaves. John Phillips says the fig leaves represent man's earliest attempt to cover up his sin, to make himself fit for the presence of God. And that's a picture of human's attempt at self-righteousness, trying to make ourselves acceptable in God's sight and in our own sight. And I want you to know, dear friend, if you're in that trap, that's exactly what it is. There is no human effort that can ever, the Bible says our good works, the very best we can do is like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. But look on to Genesis chapter three, verse 21. The Bible tells us also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. 
You see, God did for them what they could not and would not do. The first blood is shed right here in Eden. This innocent animal's blood was shed on their behalf to cover their guilt and shame. And even here we see a picture of the cross. We see the picture of what Jesus would do for us because there Jesus would die as our sinless substitute. He took our guilt so that we could take his righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Dear friend, I ask you this morning, how did you come dressed this morning? How did you come dressed spiritually? Are you still in your sin? Are you still trying to sow those fig leaves and come up with your own righteousness, which is not righteousness at all? The, it, God doesn't accept that. It's, it's, it's just filthy rags. Or are you dressed in the righteousness of Christ? Are you clothed in Christ this morning? The only kind of righteousness that God accepts. But number five, see Christ as the ark of safety. Turn over a few pages over to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six. With sin now in the world, things went from bad to worse wickedness in the hearts and through the lives of people continue down the path of destruction. Many people today talk about how wicked the world is, and I would agree. We would all agree it's a very wicked, wicked place. But friend, the world was a wicked place at this time as well. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and uh, verse 5. The Bible says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Wow, continually. That is, that's a perfect picture of depravity, of our total depravity. And that's exactly what we see here. And again, we see the result and the consequences of that. And so God, because God is a holy God, determined that he must he must judge sin and he determined to judge the whole world through a flood that would cover the entire earth. There was one man, the Bible says, that, that found favor in God's sight. Genesis uh, chapter 6 verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, and of course, then we see that uh, in Genesis chapter, well, we'll look at that one in just a moment, but the flood pictures rather the horrors of, of hell, which are forever. God was going to bring judgment on the earth. And, and you know, uh, uh, Mark Dever, I was reading uh, his, his uh, word concerning this. He said, you know, we often kind of treat lightly the flood. You know, we, uh, we have our little pictures and we have the ark and we have the animals and we're doing that mostly to teach our children about what God did. But the reality of it is, folks, that the flood is a terrible, terrible picture of judgment. That's really the picture we need to see is that we see the awfulness of sin. We see the holiness of God and we see the awfulness and the horror, if you will, of how terrible sin is. He instructed Noah to preach righteousness and he did that, but he also instructed him to build an ark for his family and for a select number of animals. 
And then when the day came after preaching righteousness and preparing that ark and going through persecution in the process, then God took Noah and his family and the Bible teaches us that he shut him up in that ark. Noah and his family were safe from the judgment of the flood. And what a beautiful picture that that is. And the Bible tells us it is of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to recognize him as our, uh, we recognize our sin and our wickedness and we repent, turn from our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says that he puts us in Christ. We are in Christ and we're in Christ forever. And we are safe from judgment from that point forward throughout all eternity. We are safe and the Lord Jesus is our ark of safety and Christ takes our judgment upon himself. He did so on the cross, but in him we're carried safely through the waters of judgment. Peter said in first Peter chapter three, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited, uh, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in, in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through water. And that's exactly what took place. There were only there, dear friend, I want you to see this morning, please hear me. There was only one ark. There weren't two arcs. There weren't three arcs. There weren't many ways to safety. Uh, they didn't come up with other uh, other plan for escaping the flood, the judgment of the flood. There was one ark. And dear friend, that is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There aren't many ways. There's not your way and my way, and there's not uh, the, 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 the Bible way and the Muslim way uh, and the, the, this denomination's way. No, there's only one way. One, his name is Jesus. And only when you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ and him alone can you know the assurance of your forgiveness of your sin and eternal life as you come to trust in Jesus. So dear friend, repent of your sin today and trust in him if you have not done so. And again, I ask you today, are you safe in the ark of Christ today? Are you certain of that, that there's been that time in your life when you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ uh, as Lord of your life? You'll either, you're either safe in the, the ark of Christ or you will suffer judgment outside of him forever and ever in a terrible place called hell. See Jesus, see Christ as the ark of safety. Number six, see Christ as the blessing for all nations. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. See, see Christ is the blessing for all nations. You see, Genesis 12 is, uh, you can basically divide the book of Genesis into two uh, and the, the first 11 chapters and 12 through 50. And, and so this is a real turning point in the book of Genesis, but it's also a turning point uh, really in, in the history of humanity uh, because it was here in Genesis that by his grace, God chose a man named Abram. We see God's promise to him here in chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says here, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. Wow, this, this uh, name, fellow's name, Abram, would later be called Abraham. And the Abraham name means father of many nations. And God fulfilled that promise to him when he was 100 and Sarah was 90. God fulfilled this promise to them and gave them a son named Isaac. And again, this reveals God's plan to save people through a person who would be a descendant of Abraham. And we know this promise is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the blessing for all nations, to those, to anyone who believes. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Dear friend, that's us. Amen. We're in that verse. Those of us who have repented of our sin and placed our faith in Christ, we've got in on that blessing. And the Lord Jesus is the one who is the blessing for all nations. And now he's commissioned us uh, as his ambassadors, as his followers, as his disciples, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. And that's why, that's why we have folks here today who, who are going to, to uh, places in Asia and, and, uh, uh, and also to uh, South Sudan because Jesus has commissioned us to go into all the world, uh, all people groups, and make disciples. In Revelation 5, 9, they worship the lamb saying, worthy are you for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What a good word that is for us today. See Christ as the blessing for all nations. So I ask you this morning, have you experienced the blessing of the salvation that comes through Christ? Alone, Will you be among those worshipers who are acknowledging the worthy lamb, the worthy lamb uh, as, uh, as a part of every tribe, tongue, and nation? I pray so. I pray if you've not done so that that will happen in your heart today. But then number seven, see Christ as the lamb provided by God. In Genesis chapter 22, several chapters over, a passage that we uh, perhaps uh, are more are familiar with. We know, of course, uh, Abraham, after waiting all those years, he and uh, Sarah, and even trying to come up with their own substitutes to help God out. God needed no help, but God fulfilled his promise in sending Isaac. And after that had happened sometime later, the Bible tells us here in Genesis 22 that God tested Abraham. Verse two said, he said, uh, then he said, now take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You know, there's no indication here that Abraham argued with God. The next day, Abraham and Isaac set out for Moriah, a two-day walk from Beersheba. 
And we see that in verses, uh, verses six and eight. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and the knife. And the two of them went together. But, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and, and said, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham prepared that altar. The Bible tells us here, he, he, he bound Isaac. He laid him on the altar. The Bible says his hand was raised to slay Isaac when God called him, God stopped him. And then in verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on your, on the ladder, do anything to him for, for now. I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide the Hebrew word Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. John the Baptist answered Isaac's question when he said, where is the lamb? In John 1.29, as he and Jesus both were beginning their ministry, he said the next, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Abraham named it Jehovah Jireh because a substitute was provided. And eventually that place became the site of the temple where sacrifices would be offered up who would, again, ultimately picture the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would also be near the site of Golgotha where the Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross as our sinless substitute paying the, the debt in full. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham obeyed God, believing that God would raise Isaac. God spared Isaac, but he gave his son for us as our sinless substitute who was raised on the third day. Praise God. But number eight, see Christ as Jacob's ladder. Look at over several chapters over to Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Isaac's son, Jacob, who became Israel, for which the nation was named, was traveling from Beersheba to Haran. He spent the night and had a dream. Genesis 28 and verse 12, we read about that. It says, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and, and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The term ladder can also be rendered stairway. And when we come to the New Testament, Jesus in calling Nathaniel as a disciple, the Bible tells us here that, that knowing he had been meditating on this passage, no doubt, said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's John 1, 51. Jesus was saying, I am that ladder. He also identified himself here as the Son of Man, the incarnate God-man, a, a term for the Messiah, for the Christ, also making clear he is the preexistent one. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you come to God the only way you can come through the Lord Jesus Christ? He's not the best way. He's the only way to God. Number nine, see Christ in Joseph's story. Now turn almost to the end of Genesis. Well, Genesis chapter 39, because from 39 and following, we see the story of Joseph. I'm not going to read a great deal of this, but let me just say to you, Joseph's life in many ways pictures Christ. He was despised. He was rejected by his own, by his own family. He became a, a servant sold into slavery by his, his own brothers in a foreign land. But then he was exalted after uh, God's intervention to a, the highest place in order that he could deliver his own people from death, which he does. And then when he finally, the day came when he saw his brothers, he fully forgave them to their great and utter surprise because he knew in the sovereignty of God, God had chosen him and sent him to this very place to deliver them. So now look over almost to the end in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 and 21. And as again, uh, their father, uh, Jacob, Israel was, uh, had, was, had passed away by this time. And they were fearful that now that he was gone, uh, he, they were, he was going to do them in. And so they, uh, but in verse 20, we, he, he responded to them and said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Dillard and Longman in their Old Testament introduction say, in the same way as Joseph, God overruled the intentions of wicked people to bring about deliverance. Jesus was crucified by wicked people who hated him. We've been seeing that, just saw that in the gospel of Luke. But God intended it to bring about our salvation, the salvation of everyone who will repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ. What a beautiful picture is Joseph's picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you looked to Jesus today for your salvation? And then finally, I want you to see, the, see Christ in the promise to Judah. Look back to, to chapter 49 and, and look with me there in a moment. You see, before his death, Jacob, Israel, blessed his sons one by one. And he became, when he came to his son Judah, look what he said in chapter 49, verses 8 through 10. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Here is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from the tribe of Judah, the one for whom he speaks here, who's, the, who's the, the scepter will not depart from him. Jesus fulfilled this promise perfectly and completely. And he's, even as we saw last week, he's now seated in kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 5, 5 says he is the lion of the tribe of 
Judah. The Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today you'll see him all the way through the book of Genesis and you'll see that he is here and he is now reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Genesis begins with creation, but look with me now at the last verse. It begins with creation, but it ends with a coffin. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You know, it might look from a human perspective like Satan has won here. And you know, Joseph was a beautiful picture of Christ, but that's what he was. You see, the, the, the good truth of the matter is, friend, is that, that Jesus, he died, he was buried, but hallelujah, he didn't stay in the grave. His story didn't end with a grave. He is a risen Savior. He's a risen Lord. He is alive, and he is the Savior of the world. And if you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ, my prayer for you is that you will. And I want to also say, friend, whatever you may be going through today, it may, be look, it may look like it's the end, but I want you to know I'm so glad today that this is not where the story ends. Amen? The story doesn't end with a coffin, and, and God has more of the story. And, and you're blessed today that you're here, and God still has given you breath in your body. And I want to challenge you because you don't know about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. I want to challenge you to, to turn today, to turn to Jesus, turn from your sin, and to, turn to Christ and surrender to him as Lord. And if you are a believer, whatever you may be struggling with today, realize that Jesus is the victor. And if he's living inside of you, you have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin Place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623, or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.